In this episode, we're going to discuss one of my favorite topics: philosophy behind sales and marketing. You could say it's a comparison between the Finnish way and the American way, but I like to look at it as a comparison between humility and, let's say, boldness. Which is a more useful approach, and where? I'll be discussing all of that with my guest Andrew Deutsch, who is a global marketing and sales executive, who helps companies build go-to-market strategies to take their businesses all over the world. All right, so let's do this. Here is Andrew. I am here now with Mr. Andrew Deutsch, who is joining me from. I believe Cleveland, Ohio, or where in Ohio are you, Andrew? I'm I'm in Cleveland, Ohio, in the U.S. Yes. All right. Thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been a long time since I've been in Helsinki. Yeah. Well, when was the last time? I want to say maybe six years ago. Okay. Well, that's not too long. What were you doing six years ago? I was visiting a a, a potential customer for a company that I was doing some work with. Hmm. Okay, right. Well, let's let's start from the beginning. So, um, can you describe? So, if you meet somebody new and they ask you, "What do you do for a living?" How do you respond? I have a a global marketing and sales consultancy. We we help companies grow their business in their own country and around the world in a way that converts everyone they touch into a voracious advocate for their brand. Wow. <laughs> Now that's what I call a a one liner. Thank you. I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, before we get into that, let me ask you: How important do you think it is, Andrew, to have a prepared statement to describe what what one does? It's it's extremely important when when you meet someone for the first time, and and I really don't care what part of the world you're in. Yeah. Uh, if you can't concisely capture their 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 interest and and help them understand who you are and what you do in the first moment, yep. you may never get a chance to do that. Exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, it's critical. Yeah, and what do you think about those people? I mean, I'll tell you right now. I'm going to lose some friends in Finland, but a lot of Finns, a lot of the Finns that I know, well, maybe not a lot. Uh, some <laughs> some fans that I know they see that as disingenuous. They see that like if I'm preparing a statement to give you, then it's not authentic. Like, what well, do you me, think about me, that? Let me f- make up really quick what a disingenuous one would sound like. Okay, And please, whoever's listening to this, this isn't who I am. <laughs> it's, it's it's the kind of of, of one line pitch that will that will destroy your ability to really connect with somebody. So so oh, here it goes. Okay. So so my name is Josh and I am the best marketing and sales advocate in the world and if you do business with me, I will make you a king. That's disingenuous. Hmm. It's crass, it's rude, it's chest pounding like Tarzan and it will it will destroy your ability to connect with people. There's nothing there's nothing wrong with sharing the 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 story of who you are and what you do in the business world in a way that's genuine and mm. truthful. As soon as you start losing that bit of humility that I love in Finnish people, mm. where, where they're 
they're they're they're not out chest pounding and saying I am the king. Yep. There there's a certain kind confidence that I get out of Finnish people that that always sort of made me interested in doing more in in Finland than less. I think it's it's a trait that's positive. The challenge is how how do you do you get to that middle point where you take that and also add confidence to it that that helps people to really understand that you are good at what you're doing. Mm. But you know humans being human once we accept that like you don't want to be too chest pounding and you don't want to be shouting and you know exaggerating then there's a danger of going too far the other way which is oh uh, I'm I'm not you know self-deprecating and there's a danger of going yeah. too far that way Absolutely yeah it's it's there there's a happy balance that that separates the the professionals from the amateurs And, and I, I listened to someone on a podcast that I, uh, rather than throw someone under the bus, but this guy was talking about how the most important trait is being humble, showing humility. And, and then he went on to say, and by the way, the reason I'm so successful is because I am so humble and, and the people who, who work with me are so pleased to have me as their boss because they appreciate how humble I really am. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I, I think somebody needs a <laughs> out of you know, all the humble people in the world i'm number one yeah as a matter of fact if there was an award for humility yes I, you know <laughs> but you know it there, there's a certain natural balance but the other side of it is that that it, if these things make you so uncomfortable based on your your core culture uh and you're not getting success in being able to do things there there's some adjustments that you got to think about in terms of whether that that is really serving you and and what your goals are and where you want to go or if because that is the core of who you are in your culture maybe maybe there's other ways to adapt to to be able to be effective mm. so cuz i'm really interested in this finding the balance between humble and truthful and also let's face it we work in sales and marketing which means we do have We can't just say the truth straight. I right? one of my favorite quotes, I think it's from David Ogilvy. Um good advertising is the truth made fascinating. So there is a skill like you can't just go out and just say oh, you know, buy my car, you know, it's okay. We the, we do have a responsibility to buy this car, you know, it's great. We do have the responsibility to to make the sale, right? So I'm really curious about finding that balance. So my question is you know you have 120 countries around the world customers there must be a difference like in america brash sells maybe a little bit more than it does somewhere else would you agree i i think again it goes back to to the core of of who you are as a person and the job you're doing if you're selling a product that you feel the only way it's going to sell is through deception probably you're in the wrong place and working for the wrong people Um, I, I I think that there are ways to to enhance and speak about a product in a way that matters. The 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 core of of our technique really is to meet people at their model of the world and bring them towards towards yours, rather than you know coming out. It's it's. I'll give you an example. If you brought up the example of a car, mm. so in in Germany, for example. And and again, I'm going to speak in stereotypes because stereotypes are a shortcut. Mm -hmm. uh, but in in Germany, 
where where people tend on, on a general basis, not everyone, mm-hmm. to be far more technical in their thought process about the things that they buy. Yes, the, the, the concept of German engineering. So if if we're building a, a sales model and a marketing campaign to sell in that type of a country, we really do want to talk about the ins and outs, the nuts and bolts. Uh, what is the performance? What are the what are the features in in terms of technical areas? On the same note, there are other countries where the the technical part isn't as interesting as the aesthetic of the product. Mm. Those places, as we're building a campaign, although the features will be there, they won't be prominent as the first thing that you come across. Mm. We're going to talk much more about the the excitement of the drive, the curves of the vehicle, the beauty, the comfort. So so it's. It's not about whether you're you're trying to be deceptive or not deceptive. It's mm. about understanding who's your customer and sharing what's in it for them based on who they are at their model of the world. Yeah, definitely. Agree. You you said some key words in there. You said deception. Obviously, that's not what we want. But there is enhancement, right? There is a skill. Otherwise, there would be no difference between a good salesman and a bad salesman. Yeah, there's there's an expression in, in 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 American English. I don't know if they say it in 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 Britain or not. Yeah, but they, they they talk about you know you 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 put lipstick on a pig. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I, I personally avoid being in situations where I get accused of that. And for those those who don't understand the expression, it means to even though the thing's horrible and smelly and otherwise like a pig, maybe you, you put lipstick on it, make it pretty. Dress it up. Yeah. Um, Okay, all right. Well, let me ask you that. Let me stay with that example then. Sure. If we need to sell this pig, and you're saying we're not allowed to make this pig pretty, how are we supposed to sell it? It, it goes back to understanding your customer. What what is it that your customer would really want in a pig? And do do you know is is it because the reality is at the end of the day, unless they're looking for a pet, nobody cares what that pig looks like. Mm. So, it, depending on the on the consumer, if it's a vegetarian, you might as well move on to another customer <laughs> because you know that that vegetarian has no interest in in the, nur- the nutrition they could get from a pig because that's not in their in their mindset. Mm. Now, if you're going to somebody who actually consumes pork, what what is it? <laughs> Are they looking for tender? Are they looking for one that's been fed in a certain way so that it's organic and doesn't have uh, hormones and, and steroids and other things in it? Are, are they looking for one that's highly fatty? Or are they looking for one that's lean? Mm. And if you understand the kind of pig that they want to consume, then then speak in that language and show them that, in fact, not deception, in fact, this pig meets all the criteria that they want in their pig. Wow, I love it, Andrew. I can't believe we just used the, a pig as an example and it you, you illustrated how the importance isn't in trying to make this pig out to be something it's not. It's to understand what the customer needs and find the right fit, right? Product market fit. Find the right customer for this pig. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it goes back. I'll give you an example of a, of a project that we worked on in Brazil. Yeah, please. So in, in the U.S., when, when a, a, an American consumer goes to purchase a very high-end sofa, Mm. We're talking, you know, thousands of dollars for a sofa for your house, not not the ones you get at the bargain store. Mm. When they go into the store, <clears throat> they get to see a cutaway of the inside of that sofa. And that cutaway shows the type of spring. They'll even tell you the grade of steel that was used and the different layers of materials. 
and a description of how it was hand tied to the to the mechanism in different directions. And that's very important to the high end American consumer because they're buying an heirloom for their family and they want to be able to tell people that they bought the best and that's how they define it. Mm. Now, if you take those marketing materials down and we did to high end furniture stores in Brazil that sell imported products, they go, we don't need those cutaways. You say, well, why not? It shows the quality of the couch. It's well, our consumers, they don't care. They want to know the sofa was made in America. They <laughs> want to know that it's quality. They want to be able to brag about the fabric and, and the look and, and the style and the designer, but they don't care what's inside the sofa. They buy with their butt. They sit <laughs> down. They're comfortable. They got the bragging rights. They're going to buy the sofa. So, so it's just you know, the, these multicultural concepts in the marketing space are so important to understand. If you took and you translated all of the marketing materials and the store displays and all of the stuff from a U.S. furniture store, created it in Portuguese, sent it down to Brazil, it would gather dust and, and probably only excite 2% of the consumers. Mm, love it. Love it. Okay. Um, so what do you think about, say, for example, a Finnish company or, you know, a less, we need to find a word, you know, like a less brash company coming to do business in America, in a place that appreciates kind of straight talk, let's say. Yeah. The number, the number one rule in, in the fangled way, my company's business as we go global is we never know another country's market as well as they do. Um, and, and there's lots of examples of that that we could, we could talk about a little bit later. And what I mean by that is that if a Finnish company, a Swedish company, a Bulgarian company, a Chinese company just decides, let's go do business in America and not get people who, number one, understand the U.S. market, mm. and number two, understand the culture of the country they're coming from, uh, they're going to fail or they're going to have a real long build. Uh, because you, you, you need a partner in, in this country that, that understands the idiosyncrasies of Finnish culture, the way Finnish people do business and, and have that relationship, but can speak American. And I don't mean English, I mean American culture. Yep, absolutely. I, I sat in a meeting once in Austria and they were going to bring us in as a consultant because they had only had market penetration on the East Coast. And they had a map up on the wall of the U.S. with dots of where they had thought all of their sales were happening. Mm -hmm. And out in, out in the West, they had these huge areas with no dots and they were furious why they couldn't get distribution. And our response, which, which probably, you know, back in the day I was, I was a little brash myself, said, well, you know, the reason you don't sell anything there is it's a desert and there's no people. <laughs> and, and I probably could have been a little kinder in, in how I said it at the time. I was in my early 30s and, and still chest pounding and, and, and not where I am now in my, in my mindset. But, you know, it's, again, the cultural things that would make a product or a service boom in Finland may not be the reason why that product would do well here, although the product has potential. Mm. So, so there, there's that cultural divide. It's so important to have someone in the middle who can translate that on, on both a verbal and, and, and physical manner. Do you think, I mean, just you, uh, let me ask you personally, like, do you think it would be a much cleaner 
a much simpler transaction if we're allowed to be, you know, just direct with communication. So why can't I just say it's a desert and there's there's nobody there? Like, why do we have to like tiptoe and be indirect? And well, be- we don't we don't have to tiptoe and be indirect, but there there's a tone that that I lacked in that conversation that was a, that probably was considered rather offensive. Probably the right approach would have been, especially with with people like Austrians, probably <laughs> should have been, I understand that you have a concern for that region. Let's look at the demographics and see why that re- territory is difficult and then pulled up the, the population and, and where the cities are and pictures of the desert. I, I think there was a much kinder way of doing that without being offensive. Sure. Okay. And, you know, Again, and I, and key I word. Offensive. Why should we... Do you think you... In business, in the business world, mm-hmm. it's about transactions, right? You want this and I want this. You have this, I want this, so let's trade. Why do we have to worry about not offending each other? I don't, I don't know other? that I don't know that that your definition of what business is is is, is accurate. It's okay. not I have this and you want it. It's how how can I benefit you with what we have and and have that mutual beneficial relationship. Yes, we want we want your money and you want our product, but let's see how we can optimize our relationship between the two of us because a, a, a transactional mindset, anyone can sell almost anything the first time. Real yes, business doesn't point. happen. Real business doesn't really happen, even on the second sale. Mm. It's when it's when the relationship's built, and now you're into the third, or you sold something that requires additional, like you sold some very high end automation, and now with that relationship, and you're helping and serving so that the automation is doing what it promised to do and it's benefiting their business. They may not need any further automation, but they need service, they need parts, and they need uh, knowledge. And through that wonderful, great relationship that happens where that automation you sold is now being very productive in their facility, they're an advocate for you. And they tell people, you know, that company's fantastic. You, you, need, a, um, you need a recommendation. You get it. Um, you know, it, it, that, that building of that voracious advocacy doesn't come from transactional sales. It comes from truly being a resource and having a seat at the table at your customer's business. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, can you tell me a little bit about your history? So did you start your career in sales or did you start somewhere else? <laughs> well, I, I went to school to study international trade. And out of college, actually, the first position I had had nothing to do with what I had studied. I was uh, an executive with a nonprofit youth organization. The, the interesting aspect of it was it was sales. We were selling people on joining the program and managing that program, which was part of the operational side of it. But also, we were fundraisers, which means that <laughs> as, and as a fundraiser, what you're really doing is you're selling no product. You're selling a concept yeah. where a person is giving you money in exchange for a certificate, a handshake, and a good feeling. And to be able to sell, as I joke, nothing and be successful mm. at it, that's how, you, uh, that's how you get started to really understand that sales process because it's not, you're not selling a bunch of features. You're not selling horsepower. You're not selling delivery. You're not selling shipping, any of those mm. types of things. You're, you're selling a benefit, and that benefit is a good feeling about being a good person and doing good things for your community. So you, wow. it, it really got me focused <clears throat> greatly on, on what it means to sell a benefit. So you 
you know, you jumped into sales and fundraising, like you said, and these are some of the most challenging and what's the word? I would say negatively viewed <laughs> jobs, right? If you, if you tell somebody you're in sales or if you tell somebody you're a fundraiser, immediately they're going to be suspicious or, you know, they're going to, yeah, right. They're, they're going to see you in a certain way. So you learned early to not be afraid of the words sales and selling and fundraising. Yeah. It, it, again, if, if, if you feel that way, you're probably in the wrong profession. It's, you know, if, if you're, or if you're, if you're embarrassed that you're raising money or that you're selling for some reason, you, you also have to wonder if you're with the right group. Yeah. I mean, but if, I'm I'm talking raising, about- if I was a fundraiser for an organization that I didn't believe in, there's something wrong with me. Mm. Why, why yeah. would you, why would you be the least bit embarrassed about raising money for something that you truly believe in? Excellent point. But, you know, looking at it from the general, the receiver's side. So from, you know, you can be as proud as you like about being a salesman, but when you tell somebody, the majority, most people are going to be like, oh, I don't want to be sold to. I don't, I don't need, I, I don't need any, I don't need to be sold to. I think back to my, my great grandfather and, and grandfather who were in the funeral business. I mean, they, <laughs> they, they, they ran, they ran the first full service funeral home in this whole part of the United States back in the 1800s. And and you know you you meet someone who's in that business and oh my god he's always around death all the time what a horrible yes. job and you go well wait a minute this they're the people who help families on the first step to recovery and and getting back to normalcy after losing a loved one is that is that a horrible profession are they are they you know gloom and doom people or do they actually help when you put it in that frame well they they do a great service for for families that are that are going through a horrible time and and it's not an easy job, so you know you if you look at it from that it's it's very respectful and respectable. Now, if you look at it as the guy who's profiting off of death, then uh, then you're a different person. So you know if if you're in a position where you don't have a way to think about what you do in a positive way, and you remain there, that's on you, not on other people. Yep. Let's change gears a little bit and let's talk about the Nordic portion of your life. You did an exchange. You spent some time in Sweden as a high school student. So do you remember, uh, what was your first thoughts when you first landed as a high school student in Sweden? After I got over the excitement of just the fact that I was in another part of the world uh, and really <laughs> got to know, and I was young at the time, so I was hanging around with young people. And did you choose um, Sweden or was it I, I didn't. assigned to you? I, I didn't. I, it was okay. assigned to me. Um, I, I, as a naive you know, high school kid, was hoping to go somewhere where they spoke English. Right. So wow. I had on my list, my top three on the list were South Africa and Australia and New Zealand. Yep. Because uh, they were exotic. Sweden. They were exotic and I, I didn't have to learn anything. And uh, I went to Sweden, where people at that time, you know, most most of the people I knew spoke spoke some some English. Mm. But also, I'm so glad that they sent me there because my my laziness and and lack of interest in learning a language later paid off greatly <laughs> from the mm. little bit that I the little bit that I could speak from from Sweden at, at the time. And in my experience, being here in Finland for a few years, I swear I have majority of my Finnish friends speak, this is no exaggeration, speak better English than the majority of my English friends. 
It sounds crazy. No, it, it, not to me it doesn't. It's, it's normal. I, I found that in Scandinavia today, um, and I'm still very, you know, I had lost touch for years, and then with the beauty of the internet, I regained mm. with my, my wonderful Swedish family. Uh, we're, we're very close friends still to this day now. Mm. Um, but I found today when I traveled through Scandinavia, I was in Sweden just a couple years ago, um, even the young people speak uh, in many ways better English than, than a lot of other places that I've been. Yes. It doesn't, <laughs> you know, it's being, being from a place where your language isn't widely spoken around the world kind of obligates you to learn another language mm. to be part of the global community, whether it's English, German, French, or Spanish, which seem to be the main, the main ones. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's impressive to me um, you know, when I hear people in, in my country making comments about foreigners, I'm like, you know, those people can speak three or four languages. How about you? Mm, mm. <laughs> okay, so let's bring it right back to today then. Sure. Um, so with your company, how has, uh, I mean, do, do you do a lot of, have you moved a lot of stuff online now with this past year? Uh, <laughs> are you able to move your services online easily? We, we've been building digital strategy f- for almost almost 20 years. Oh, okay. And, and it's interesting. It, it's become more and more a part of everybody's business. It's, you know, we, we, I think we talked about this before. I, I was dealing with a client who was making comments about Finland. And I said, well, you keep bringing up Finland. And he says, well, they're so prominent <laughs> in, in the web space now. And and everyone's talking about it. I, the, I see it everywhere. And I said, I you know I'm I'm aware that in the cellular market and some of these 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 technology areas that the the fins are very powerful and good. But I I don't understand. You know, it, it just seemed odd that he was so enamored with it. Mm-hmm. He said, Well, I, I'm going to to take a webinar online next week because I'm so curious about about their technology. And I said, Well, what technology specifically? Because <laughs> I'm going to find out. It's the there. It's all this fintech from Finland. <laughs> and I said, well, it's interesting that it starts with the word fin, but that's short for financial technology. <laughs> yeah. It's not necessarily the people in Finland. Fintech, good one. I thought it was I think funny. I'm sure a lot of people think that. I don't know if a lot, but there's obviously one. So, yeah, so tell me a little bit more about Fangold, Fangold technology. So you've, you've already been doing... Um, digital services. So the transition for you hasn't been too difficult. No, it's 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 not really a transition. Although we we continue to to build additional programs within it, but it's always been. I mean, basically, our our company is broken down into into five sectors. So we do sales work, we do marketing work, we have a creative division, which is our uh, graphics and and video and and you know, digital play app development with our, with our, our freelancers. And then we also have our, our global uh, division, which is really how we tie all of that together into the global market. And lastly, we, we have what we call our innovation division, which is where we help companies truly through their research and otherwise do product launches and product development in ways that meet a much broader audience than, than would be in a normal product development process. And then wow. we have our, our, our podcast, which is the, the Fangled Cast. Yeah. Hopefully you'll post a, a link to that, which is similar to yours in that we, 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 we're not interested in, in folks coming on and telling us their journey as much as we're interested in finding really brilliant people 
who can discuss topics yep. that absolutely matter for to people to understand how to grow their business. Um, and that that's kind of you know how how all of those those pieces together coordinated as one company uh, is is the resource that we offer our clients. And do you stay with topics within sales and marketing, or do you go broader? The original plan was that, but we've had some some things that that although tangent aren't aren't necessarily in that realm. For for example, uh, there was an expert who I had read an article about about the difference between capitalism and corporatism, and how people misunderstand what they are. So it was more of a philosophical conversation about how markets should and shouldn't work than it was marketing and sales. No, but, but, but you can't you can't tease me with that and not tell me a little bit more. So what's the difference between capitalism and corporatism? Sure. Well, in in a capitalist society, the only way to grow your business is by outperforming in every way. You 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 reinvest your your money in product development and delivery and service and all of those things. What's forbidden in true capitalism is using the profits from your company to invest in favors, to invest in creating barriers to trade. Like, for, for example, uh, true monopolies are not capitalist if, if they're allowed. If you're, if you're paying, let's say, for example, you manufacture a streetlight that meets mm. a certain performance standard that nobody else can make, and then you go to the government and you try to pass regulations through lobbyists so that the only streetlight allowed to be used in, in this country meets that specification nobody else can meet. Mm. That, that's not capitalism. That's corporatism. That's, that's buying favor. It's, it's buying privilege rather than performing. If your bulb and your, your lighting system is so much better than everybody else's and you can deliver it, install it, and it has you know, benefits that nobody else has – you should be able to to grow your business based on that in a capitalist society, not by preventing other people from ever being able to play the game. So that's that's really what it's about: is how how do you, why why, why do we as a society lie about being capitalists when when we allow these huge corporations to to truly use their their money to gain favor and 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 squash capitalism? Mm, okay, okay. So capitalism. You said you're not allowed to invest in in, barriers in favors to trade in favors and barriers to trade. It's a very non-capitalist thing to do. Got it. Got it. Got it. True capitalism it. is about about running incredible businesses based on your merits and your benefits, yep. Yep, not yep, yep. not not based on keeping people out. Yes, I love it. I get it, and I I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Capitalism isn't about taking away opportunities, right? Because right now a big thing is unequal outcomes and outcome mm -hmm. inequality. But capitalism, capitalism promotes equal opportunity. Would you agree? Yeah, cap capitalism promotes excellence through competition. Right. Or corporatism promotes schlock and garbage uh, because nobody can compete with you. You don't have to be better. If yeah, you corporate, corporate. Playing. Yeah, so that's more like stacking the odds in your favor before the race begins. Yeah, it's 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 basically. I think in most people, most people in the world hate when they're unable to play the game because somebody else is keeping them from playing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So if we want more, if we want everybody to be included in playing the game, then we should be celebrating capitalism. Yes. Yeah, and the funny thing is that the folks, it seems like in, in, in this society, when, when you really look at what people are calling socialism, socialism is, 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 has nothing to do with what people think it does in this country, yep. you know, around the world. Agreed. I mean, anyone, and like, for example, anyone who thinks that, that uh, you know, Russia, for example, is socialist is insane. It's a dictatorship, in my opinion. It's it, who uses the, the, the idea of communism or socialism as a, as a mask for authoritarianism. Same with mm -hmm. China, same with North Korea. Um, I don't think there is a socialist society, although there are, there's a concept where we can pool public money for the benefit of, of people. For example, health systems, uh, education systems, the police, the fire department, all of those things fall under the original concept of socialism. Let's yeah. Let's pull Which is what we have services that everybody needs. Yeah, and all of those things is what we have up here in the Nordics and the Scandinavian. Uh huh. And and it it seems to work. Mm. You know, and and so you know we we live in a society now uh, where we create labels so that we can blame things. You know, it's it's kind of like in in this country, if in in the U.S., if you disagree with one, then you're a liberal and if you disagree yep. with the other you're a radical right winger or whatever and, and the reality is there's there's lots of gray between those and i know it's easier just to label it and go and i don't, I don't want to get get political with it but yeah um there there comes a point in time where, where you, as i joked earlier stereotypes are a time saver i know I that's can, the crazy thing about labels like we yeah. need them but they can also backfire they usually do it's if if you can tag it, then you can blame it. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah. But also, it, we have to tag it. Otherwise, we can't... That's what organizing is, right? That's what... Maybe organizing is the wrong word. But, you know, if I'm going to tidy my room, I have to figure out this is a sock, so it goes into the sock drawer. This is a piece of paper, so it goes into the paper drawer. Otherwise, mm -hmm. right, if you don't label anything, you can't identify. There's no social judgment about the fact that it's a sock and it's a paper. Now, if it's a sock that's got a weird image on it or paper with something that some people think is profane and other people think is funny, now there's judgment involved in that tag. Right. So, so if you go to a comedy club when I was a kid and you knew oh my. you would go hear the comedians, this guy's going to be offensive and totally, I'm paying money totally. because I know it. Now we have people that will go to the comedy club to listen to the offensive guy for the purpose of being totally shocked and reporting him and, and, oh and, my God. you know, we, I was, had, I had this conversation last week with someone about, about this anti-bullying culture that's, that's, that's booming. And I, I am completely, totally opposed to what I consider to be real bullying. Of course. But, but most of the anti-bully people are the biggest bullies on the planet. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> so well put. So yeah, true. It, yeah. They're, they're in, in my wokeness, I'm going to put you down. I said, well, thanks. You just proved that you are what you accused me of. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but this connects back to how we started. I think this is the theme of this conversation is yeah. it's basically, it's the idea that there is an edge and the closer you get to the edge, the more benefit you have. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you go over the edge, you're done. Uh, meaning we were talking about how... Um, you know, is there a difference between, you know, 
you don't want to brag. There's a line where if, if you cross it, then you're bragging and you're being brash and you're being, you know, disgusting. But if you go too far the other way, then you're being too humble and you're putting yourself down and then you're, you're missing out. It's about finding Absolutely. that balance. And the same way, yeah, we don't, we don't want to, but who's going to actively encourage bullying? Right. Nobody actively encourages bullying. But as soon as you put in a law that says no bullying allowed, then there's a danger of crazy people going too far the other way. Oh, no bullying, no bullying, no bullying. Well, right? well the thing is, who gets to decide whether it is or isn't? There's there's a exactly. there's no black and white definition of what bullying actually is. Is it bullying if you and I were out for for drink somewhere and I noticed that you you had your fly open on your pants <laughs> and I went hey man your your fly's open and you get embarrassed yes now now my my intent and in what I said was to help you avoid embarrassment and unfortunately you took it the wrong way am I a bully <laughs> is I making you feel bad in public so it, it, you know it, it, it it's when you allow the one guy one gal one whatever to define what's offensive based on the fact they're the only one that's offended, then you really have a problem with, with your society. So, and and I, I'm, I'm a big believer that adversity and, and discomfort are usually where I did the most learning in my life. Oh, I, man. I, I, I thrive, thrive on living outside my comfort zone. Oh, yeah. this is a great... All right, I'm going to get a little bit philosophical here. So, yeah, I, I agree. Now, what we've done as a species, as a society, is we've tried to... You know, with good intentions, we've tried to reduce everybody's discomfort, which is fine. You know, it's it's a noble thing to aim for. Hey, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. So every day, all we do is innovate to reduce discomfort. And I think we're going too far the other way now. Yeah, well, you know, the, the American comedian Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld, used to Of course, do I love him. Yeah, he, he used to do a bit about, you know, the, the what are about human beings. He said, well, we're... We, we have companies that make things called helmets, which means that we as a society have come up with reasons to need one. <laughs> I mean, those were, that isn't his joke, but that's the premise of it. And, you know, when, when, when you really look at those in, in, in my experience over many years in the global world, you know, visiting and working in hundreds of, hundreds of places, uh, the one thing that I notice about the folks that really broke out in their careers are, are guys that, that recognize the, the differences a learning experience in being outside your comfort zone is where the most productive part of your growth comes. And the guys that are out there trying to do the work and always frustrated, never get anywhere. Now I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we take risks and every week we're jumping out of airplanes and walking on fire. But when you, when you get out of that comfort zone, if you go to a restaurant and you order the same thing every time, yes, you'll get some nourishment. But if you order something different on the menu that you've never tried before, even if you don't like it, you learn something about yourself and, and otherwise that can benefit you in the future. It's, you know, you, you get kids at the table and you put broccoli on the plate for the first time and they go, ew, and you don't encourage them to at least try it. They're never going to know if other vegetables are worth eating. You got to start somewhere. Mm. But yeah, well, what I mean is more like when I say discomfort, I mean like, let's say, 20 years ago, we can probably agree, or let's to be safe, 30 years ago, you're allowed to, teachers were allowed to hit kids in school. Am I right? No, not, not, not where I lived. I'm maybe in the South and in some of the more, more conservative regions of the country that, that existed, but 
but at some point in the past, it did. Oh yeah, yeah, back back in like the fifties and right. Fine. Yeah. So my point is, yeah, maybe that was bad, right? But in trying to remove a bad thing, so we, now we put in laws that prevent you from maybe forcing your kid to eat that broccoli. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we we you know we want to go so far the other way so that's what i'm talking about in terms of the balance like yeah. let me like in terms of insults the thing is true friendship comes from pushing each other shoving each other insulting each other right so today that doesn't exist anymore it yeah it, it you're correct it doesn't i, I isn't I that sad i i i was telling i've got an old buddy of mine who's who's 80 years old and he and i have been friends as a matter of fact i went to college with his son who's like a brother to me and became great friends with his dad, and we've we've done business and things together over the years. And we we tell jokes to each other yes. that we wouldn't we wouldn't tell in public. But isn't and, that and, that's and, wrong, right? If if, the, if you're forcing people to go private with regular jokes, yeah, it, it, I I agree. I think I think that now now if the intent of the joke is to hurt someone, which many times it can be, I have an issue with that. But if it's, I mean, humor is about the, the, the sort of the juxtaposition of, 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 of things that don't go together. So mm-hmm. and that's, why it, that's why it's funny. That's what makes it funny, yeah. You know, and, or, you know, they, they keep taking things out of context in a way that's humorous. But and surprising. It's the same, it's the same with words. If we, if we keep censoring words uh, so that this word is bad, uh, it just gives it more power. It makes it more impactful. If you yeah. tell a kid the F word, you can't use the F word, you can't use the F word, then when you hear it, it's, oh my God, he said it. It's exciting. Yeah. It, it, back, back in the 80s, there was a group of uh, politicians' wives who tried to create here in the States these labels that would go on records you know, to warn parents that there might be offensive material on the record. Mm, and, yep. and I remember I was young at the time. And, and, and that's what you seek out. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that year, I think it was on the MTV Music Awards, maybe it was the, the Grammys, I, I don't remember which it was, but Aerosmith went and won an award for the best album, and they thanked those women, who the wives. Yes. Because... Because that because sticker got them more sales. Yeah, their label got more people excited about their album, and they were able to sell more. Great point. Yeah. Great point. Yeah, I, 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 I may have my dates wrong, but that was the concept of it. I remember it. I remember yeah, it happening. In I my get it. Era. And I was recently watching Harry Potter with my daughter, and in Harry Potter, you know, famously, the the evil bad guy is so evil that he's known as he who he who who cannot be named, and that's the ultimate way to instill fear if you don't yeah. name it. So, oh, I can't say his name. Can't say his name. So then everybody's more afraid of him. But as soon as you say his name out loud, then it's no big deal. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. So censoring and trying to shut people up, it has the opposite effect. Yeah. But when you, when you bring it back to our, our, you know, our original conversation about, about business in general, hmm. what, what we do as we're, we're in our, our business lives as opposed to our personal lives, certainly the, the, the ability to to offend in a business meeting is typically not a productive way to conduct what you're doing. So if if for example I'm I'm on the road and here in the states and I'm visiting someone and I know their political leanings and they're different than mine, 
I do everything I can to not have that discussion. Whereas if I'm out with friends and with people of different political leanings, we'll have that conversation um, unless it, it boils down to you're an idiot, you're an idiot because you don't believe what I believe. But, yep. you know, it's the same if if you knew, for example, that that your client had certain religious beliefs that were different than yours, you would avoid that conversation completely because that's not what you're there to do. Absolutely. You're there to talk about how your business, your product, your service can be life-changing and benefit them in some way with with a, a concept of service, not a matter of, well, let me upset you about something completely different so you buy from my competitor even though the competitor can't do what we can do for you. Yeah, totally. So, but here's the thing that I find interesting. There's a sender and a receiver. Now, this we're giving a message right now. What you just said, that's for the sender. And that message is plenty, right? It's loud enough. We've all been told, hey, don't offend this person, don't offend this person, don't offend this person. What about to the receiver? How about a, how about a message saying, hey, remember to not be offended? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, if, if you're of a minority um, in a community, you spend a lot of time with people saying things that would be offended, offensive, and if you want to be part of that community, um, like, like, for example, if, if you're the, the only woman on a sales team of, of 100 men, mm. and, and you're, you've got a chip on your shoulder, you're, you're, you're going to have a very difficult time in that, in mm. that world because it, it's very easy in a room full of 100 men to be offended. And there will be things that are offensive. Right. And then there's point. also things that, that really weren't meant that way. I, I remember year, years ago, I was a, a member of a, of a civic organization called the Rotary Club when I worked, uh, when I worked my first job in, in, as a fundraiser. And we had a speaker. My best friend was a retired cop from the Port Authority in New York who now was retired and working at a car dealership. And uh, he, a, a, a black guy that, that grew up in a society where in, in the U.S. back when, when, when you know, it was, it was not easy for him uh, working in, in the community because he was always the black guy, you know, on the, mm. on the force. And now we're listening to, to a fella speaking uh, at a lunch engagement, and he kept referring to the colored people, which is an offensive way uh, in modern, modern English to, to, to be talking about, about blacks from, from history. Mm. And my friend Ken didn't seem the least bit offended. <laughs> and, and I turned to him and I said, man, how many, how many more times does he have to say colored people before you blow your stack? He says, no, no, you don't get it. Love it. He's an old man. He's an old man who grew yeah. up with that as his speech. If you start talking about color people, we're going to have a conversation. Right. In other words, so Ken I was smart better. enough to understand, right, from the other person's point of view. Yeah. Yep. That was, you know, if, 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 if I'm saying it, I should know better. That guy, that old guy saying it, I've been listening to that all my life, and there's nothing I'm going to do to change it, and bringing it up would just make it worse. Just let him, let him, let him live in his ignorance was sort of, the, sort of the attitude that I got from Ken. Hmm. Okay, well, the thing I took, maybe I took it wrong, but the thing I took away from Ken was this old guy isn't trying to piss me off. This no, is that, how he too. is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So that's what I'm saying. Whereas if, if Ken were less... Mm, I don't know, balanced mentally, then he might get offended. Oh, this old guy said this word that is automatically triggering a response in me and I'm going to respond. Yeah. Right. But 
So that's what I'm saying. Whereas, you know, so yes, the senders of the message, we've been told enough that not, not many people are sending out these messages anymore. But now we gotta, we have to look at the receivers. The receivers are not told, hey, calm down. This person probably isn't sending you the message you think he's sending you. Yeah. And I, I have, I have sort of my own personal technique for dealing with that kind of stuff that I've learned over the years. So if, if someone is saying to me, uh, what they think is funny as a racist or an anti-Semitic or an anti-Muslim or whatever joke that I'm supposed to be laughing at mm. that, that I think is a, if offensive and inappropriate, mm. rather than getting offended, yes, I go, you know, I, I, I don't understand why that's funny. Can you explain it to me? Yes. There's so many ways to react. You know, wor- words, are, words are interesting. I mean, it, it, here's an example. Try, and please don't do this, but, you know, try sometime <laughs> to prove that you're not a racist by, t- by explaining to people why you're not racist. There's almost yep. no way to do it that doesn't make you sound like a racist. <laughs> yeah. I have one of them as a friend. I yep, went yep, to school. Yep. You know, by the time you're done, you, you yep. start wondering yourself. My response, <laughs> my response to, to those questions is, well, you'll have to decide that on your own by how I live my life and who I surround myself with. Or I say come to my house on Thanksgiving and look at who my family is and then tell me if I'm a racist. You tell me. I, I can't judge. Yep, I like that. Yeah, because it's, you know, we, we box ourselves in corners with with trying to explain things that, that don't need explanation. Yeah, love it. All right, so we're almost coming to the end. Um, so what's your plan for the next, uh, for 2021 with uh, well, Fangled? Yeah, we're we're continuing continuing to work with with our existing clients to help build their their marketing strategies and grow their businesses. We have a unique uh, training program that's coming out. We've we've figured out how to leverage some incredible software uh, in the video space to help people to be to be more present in meetings. How how can you be in the room when you're not in the room? Yep. And we're 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 putting that course up for for sale probably around February 1st using some open source software and, and training to, to be much more engaging as you're giving presentations online and improving your online presence. Um, and there's several interesting projects in the, in the pipeline for this year of new business, uh, helping some really interesting technology uh, and, and some other products be brought to market. And we're, we're going to be building, doing a lot of the research and strategic planning for those clients. Exciting. So Do you have... Always open, you know. the The podcast is growing, and we're always open for new ideas and new, new, new things that we can do with with clients. Cool. Do you have any plans to come to Finland? I until I get two injections in my arm, one <laughs> plus the plus the booster, I'm not going anywhere. I know. But I would, I would love, I'd love to come come back to Finland. It's been a long time since I've been there. I hear, I hear the fish is quite good. <laughs> <laughs> Salmon is awesome. Uh, it is, I know. And I know. we have, we have, we just, just the last couple of days, we had super, super thick snow. So it's like really thick right now. How much snow uh, do you have right now in Ohio? It just, we, we had a big, like 14, 15 inches, which is, what is that? Uh, Holy moly. Right? Uh, and then, and then it sort of melted. And today it's, let's see, I'm looking at trying to convert to Celsius. It's like one below, maybe two below outside. Only, okay. We're, we're yeah. looking at te- minus 10 Celsius. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it warmed up a little bit. But, I mean, Cleveland's an odd place. In the summer, it can get, you know, to 38, 39 Celsius, 100 degrees plus. 
in in the winter with the wind chill, it can get forty, fifty below zero in the most extreme. Hmm. You know, so the, you 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 were born in Cleveland. I was. My family's been here. We they immigrated to the states in the eighteen hundreds. Um, so I was going to say, like you've you've lived all over. How come you ended up back home? It's funny. When I was a kid, I couldn't wait to get out of the city. It wasn't for me. It's yeah, lame. All these other. And now yeah. that I'm back and I've been living here since 2004 again. Now you appreciate uh, I really, it. I really appreciate it and don't imagine uh, living anywhere else. Wow. People in awesome. Cleveland are kind compared to other places around that I've been. Um, they care about each other. The, the very Where I live, there's very low crime. It's safe. We get four seasons, yeah. uh, which, which keeps it interesting. It's not an expensive place to live. And anything you would ever want to do, you can do here. There's great concerts. There's an orchestra, if you're into that. Um, theater. I think we're the third. I think it's the third largest theater community in, in the country, if I, I, I may have that wrong. But there's beautiful parks, museums. Any, anything that you could, you could imagine is here um, at half of what it would cost to live in, like, a Chicago or New York or something like that. Yeah. Wow, never thought about that, about Cleveland. Airport's 20 minutes from the house, so I can also get anywhere I want to go. Yeah, awesome. Well, hope to uh, one day welcome you to Helsinki, Andrew. It'd be great, I'd love it. All right, it was awesome to speak. Yeah, uh, it was awesome to speak to you. Thank you so much. It was an honor to be asked. I really, really had a great, great chat with you. I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you for listening. That was Andrew Deutsch, CEO of Fangle Tech. My name is Tan Lee. Please visit marketinghelsinki.com for more conversations with marketing professionals in Finland and around the world discussing business and personal philosophy. Thanks for listening and see you next time.